1: Hey, Road Trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second.
0: This week's episode of Meat in Three is inspired by the reemergence of Cicada Brood 10. We're talking all about insects. Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about. So, we found
2: detectable levels of cesium 137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples
0: that we had. Ah, uh, what is that? Is it tarantula? No, what is it? It's a tarantula. <laughs> oh, and they're going to eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meat and 3 wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Je suis un grand monsieur de tête de Baume de terre. Lou, are you speaking in tongues? Oh, Chava, I thought you spoke French.
2: I do, Lou. I lived in Nice for a year, and what exactly is that that you're trying to speak? <laughs> well, I'm trying to speak French. Okay, if you say so. And what are you trying to say
1: in French? I am saying I would like to try your Sombra Mezcal, please. Again, okay, if you say so. But why are you attempting to order your Sombra in French? Oh, Chava, young Chava, have you not heard? There is a new Sombra on the market, the Reposy. I think you mean Reposado? No, Chava, that's Spanish. I'm speaking French. Then I think you mean Reposé. Ah! Le repose est fantastico. Still not French, but could you please get to the point? Yeah, sure. Sombra has a new aged version of their award winning Espadine Mescal and is being aged in Bored Ducks <laughs> Oak Wine Barrels. Good Lord. Bordeaux. Oh, yeah, yeah, that actually sounds better. <laughs> Bordeaux Wine Barrels from, um, from, me. could
2: you read this for me? Okay, okay, let me check. Chateau Le Bille ferret Wow. That's one of the original second growth states in Bordeaux established in 1855?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure exactly what second growth means, but I can tell from all of your exclamation points that it's significant, which is what I figured from everything I've been reading about this. So I'm thinking the next time I go to a mezcal bar and I try to order a copita full of sombre rep- sombre... sombra sombra, reposé. Right. Next time I go to order a copita of Sombra Reposé, I'm going to have to be able to speak fancy. Fancy talk gets you fancy mezcal. I'm guessing you could just
2: say, I like the Sombra Reposé. You know nothing is that simple with me, Chava. I do, Lou, but for everyone else, just say, I like the Sombra Reposé. I love a farmer's market. I love buying my
1: vegetables and my fruits directly from the men and women who grow them. But it turns out there's another way that you can support them from your bar. Did you know that something like 40% of produce is wasted after a farmer's market because it's imperfect or it's bruised? That same imperfect and bruised produce is perfect for making syrups and flavored ice cubes Or it can be dehydrated into powders or fermented into shrubs. Both things that you can use in making cocktails. World-class U.S. Bartender of the Year, Adam Fournier, has a project on DiageoBarAcademy.com that helps you do exactly that. Check out his series, So Fresh and So Glean, on DiageoBarAcademy.com. Diageo Bar Academy is a free online resource for hospitality professionals, Offering resources for bartenders, bar managers, and venue owners. Stay informed, get inspired, and nurture connections to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy. Visit DiageoBarAcademy.com. That's D I A G E O. BarAcademy.com. Visit today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O-BarAcademy.com. Log on now at Diageobaracademy.com to raise the bar and enhance your career. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road for the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Chava, today I want to throw some, I, I'm going to call them unqualified theories out at you. Homemade Lou theories. Homemade Lou theories, that's exactly <laughs> right. You know, one of the things I love There's a lot of things I love about you, Chava. But one of the things I really do love about you is you approach things from a science fact basis. And I tend to theorize more
2: just kind of pulling ideas out of thin air. Well, I think it has to do a lot with my family. Every time I wanted to get permission for something, my mother will ask me to argument things with facts. So I couldn't just go with her and be like, all my friends are going to that party. She'll ask, which friends? What are their ages? When did they get this permission? How did they approach it? Therefore, I had to build all these very sophisticated arguments since I was very young. I think that's that's, the origin of it all. That's interesting. So the reason that
1: I'm not scientifically minded is nobody invited me to parties.
2: Oh, that's absolutely untrue, Lou. Around 30% (laughs) of the stories you ever tell in this podcast have to do with parties you were in. So not not, not, get, not, not, not as, that not the living. As a child,
1: I never had to ask permission to go to parties. By the time I was uh, invited to parties, I was old enough to give myself permission. Okay, but so anyways. So you know, here's as we travel around rural Mexico, Chava, and we're talking uh, to mescaleros about these different varietals of agave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things that I keep uh, I keep hearing is anytime somebody talks about a long-growth agave, right? So of the, you know, two to 300 varietals, sometimes you'll hear, well, this one reaches maturity after four years. It's, you know, you're able to harvest it for the sugars after four years. This one takes 40 years, and then everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. But anytime I hear somebody talking about the long-growth agaves, those 40-year ones, they also... Sometimes we'll talk about how low the sugar count, the bricks count, if you will, is in that specific agave.
2: Which is absolutely unnerving because when you get to grow up with one of those, say, Tepestate, which is the one that I got to the steel ones, they mm-hmm. take quite a while to grow. Nobody really knows uh, the age. Uh, that's We've talked about this before. <laughs> There's a lot of economics behind that. It depends how much they get, they want to get paid. If that agave took 10 years, 15 years or 25 years to grow, uh, nobody knows for sure. Nobody really marks uh, each year of the agave on the penca. It's sure. It's very intuitive things. But the fact is a tempestature takes a long time to grow. And when I got to work with that, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was unnerving. It was something like 12 tons gave us 300 liters or something like that. So it's, twelve tons gave you three hundred, produced three hundred
1: liters of liquid.
2: Yes, of at uh, fifty-two abb uh, alcohol by volume. So that's a ridiculously like a very low efficiency. You're getting very little alcohol per ton of agave, which means those agaves have very little sugars to work with, fermentable right. sugars at least.
1: Right. So okay. So I'm, I'm going to throw two ideas out at you here. Um, Uh, two ideas that are related and yet separate. So bear with me. I'm going to throw them both out at once. You can approach them in whatever order you think is appropriate. How about that? Okay. I'll get my boxing gloves. Go. Okay, perfect. So is that particular agave, that tepestate that you're talking about, is it long growth specifically because it's low bricks count? Right? If the plant itself needs this energy in order to produce the seeds, is it the case that it's taking so long to shoot its quixote up, to produce the flowers, to produce the seeds, because it doesn't have the sugars? That's number one. Before you even talk to that, because this is now going to kind of curveball you here on, on the question. Okay. Okay. When I talk to my friends, the Ramoses in Miahuatlan, Oaxaca, mm-hmm. they tell me that in their specific community, their tepestate reaches tepextate is how they pronounce it there. Their tepextate yeah, reaches now you're, maturity.
2: You're expert in Spanish now, Lou? That changed overnight. I am expert. <laughs> I I do not speak Spanish. I speak agave. Okay. I speak mague.
1: No. <laughs> Habla mague. Um they say that in their specific community, Tepecstate reaches maturity at something
2: like 10 or 12 years. Yes, which I've heard of. To 10 to 15 years. That's, let's say, sort of common for Tepecstate. Okay. And then
1: I was on a farm uh, with, uh, with, with my friend Stan from Los Donzantes, and he showed me a, um, a potatorum, a tobala that was literally the, the stock was already up in the air and the flowers are coming out and he said that was a four year old plant. Okay. So so my question is in those communities when you've got when you've got those varietals that you're used to taking 25 years, 15 years to reach maturity and instead it's four years or it's 12 years, is the bricks count
2: higher as a wow. result? I really love this question. I I really love <laughs> I really love everything that this entails because right. my first approach to this will be I think that most of the agaves that take a long time to grow they tend to be bigger is that a uh, fair assessment Not, they tend to no be,
1: no no think about Tobolab, Potatorum
2: right you hear twelve to fifteen years
1: in the wild that's a long growth yeah but Compa- also, compared
2: compared to your Americanas that are significantly bigger. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Because that could be one approach that the more biomass a agave has, the more the sugars get to be diluted. you know what I mean? Like a, I, as,
1: I, 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 as, I do. Smaller, I, I, a
2: smaller agave just has more sugars per biomass. That could be I, one I, approach. I, I, get, I get the theory, except I don't think it pans out. No, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing. This is very bizarre. Oh, Lord, just give me a... Uh, Okay, uh
1: let's see. So it's funny, I can I can see the steam coming out of your ears because you're struggling to come up with an answer for this. And and you know, and the truth is so much of what I love about uh about these these like these plants and these spirits made from these plants is um There's still not a lot of answers about this. And it's one of the things I know that frustrates you, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think uh, agave and agave spirits research, it's in its infancy. And by infancy, I mean the place where wine was in the 1600s. (laughs) 1600s, okay. (laughs) I think in the 1600s, there was more information available for wine and winemakers and wine consumers than there is today for agave spirits. Oh, Okay, so then back back to the relevant points. What are your thoughts, Chava? I okay. So I first have one take that usually the agaves that we are very sure of their bricks count are agaves that have been farmed and have been selected for their efficiency. So as we so, know, so, the- so we uh, hang on. You're
1: saying that we actually know the sugar count in the agave if it was farmed we know we we're more likely to know it if it was farmed rather than it was harvested in the
2: wild yeah because i think if it's harvested in the wild you're going to have huge differences between one and another gabe the down it's yeah i'm pretty i i, I wouldn't be so surprised of unfortunately again i i don't have uh actual data that will tell me that, but I'm guessing- Because I didn't if, give you
1: a chance to prepare for this episode, is what you're Oh, no,
2: and, and I don't know, even if you have given me the time, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to do my homework and that's going to be a second part of this episode when I come here with all my papers in hand and I shout to you and I get really happy because I get not to be frustrated about your questions. But just <laughs> in the speculation mode that I am right now, I will say that also we don't quite know The bricks content, the average bricks content of the things are harvested in the wild because the guys are using those most likely are not running huge distilleries. They don't have that kind of control. If you're running a huge distillery, you're 90% for sure working with mostly farmed agave because you just need certain consistency. You need to know that you're going to have a certain amount of, of tons of agave at hand a certain day.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You know, it's it's one of those things, and you know, I I realize as I'm saying this, I'm bringing up yet a third point that's going to frustrate you. But oh, Lord, it's it's one. I know it's one of the things that um uh, that makes me a little bit nuts when people uh, talk about the overharvesting of the wild agave, and they suggest Mm. that it's a result of the boom in uh, international mezcal sales, and I find that hard to believe. Right. I find it hard to believe because you're just, you're not going to get enough tonnage in the wild of any one agave to to make it worthwhile for one of these large companies to do a release. They're, you know, 200 liters is not going to work for a major company. It costs you too much just to set everything up and do the labeling. and.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it will be the equivalent to say that the popularity of Sada garments, it's endangering the silk production of Mexico, Right, Sarah will never, never produce with the silk of Mexico because like, it's so inefficient, it's so hard to get, it's so expensive. Yeah. They wouldn't even bother that nobody in their same mind doing their finances will be like, sure, let's start producing with that thing that we don't know anything about and that it's an absolute wild card. So yeah, I, I think, first of all, we might not have the data of wild agave because nobody that is doing this research cares enough about wild agave to know all the specificities about it. Well, is it they don't care enough or they don't care enough about the actual bricks count? Well nobody's paying them to care about.
1: Nobody yeah, nobody's it's, it's <laughs> that. like it, this is what they've done and it is what it is, right? At the end of the day, whatever comes out of that still, that's what they've got.
2: Yeah, and and I mean you've like as you were saying with the big with with the Ramos family, I think they're a great example. They're one there's one of the most famous and well respected Small small producers uh, of agave spirits, and I'm pretty sure that most of the time they don't quite know the numbers of anything that they're they're doing. And my mind comes back to my father, who's a farmer. And Mm -hmm. the other day I was talking about him about accounting because our accountant was not very happy with some of his practices because they're all (laughs) over the place. And I asked him like, "Hey, Dad, do you at the end of the year you have a, a piece of paper, right, where you write how much you put in, how much you got out?" And what's your profit for the year? And he said, oh, no, I hate to do that. Imagine doing that. Oh, no, I'll be such a bummer. I'll be so stressed about it. Imagine if I don't like the number at the end. I will absolutely hate that. So I will never do it.
1: Oh, I, really? What he So if I'm hearing you correctly, really, mm-hmm. for him at the end of the year, it's did my family eat well? Did we live well or did we not?
2: Exactly. So taking that like doing a parallelism with that into the agave spirits world, I I would say that usually the data that we have to prove you right or wrong will be usually just of large scale and not even, well, medium, large scale produced agave. And that's where you will really be able to study the BRICS count. And if certain areas, if a four-year-old espadin in certain area with a ratio of biomass bricks is more efficient at their bricks count than a farmed espadín in another area that took seven years to grow. I don't think it's an easy study at all. Uh, I remember at, at one point someone asked me to research how much CO2 an agave was consuming a year to mm-hmm. try to make the point that <laughs> I was planting agaves, so therefore I'm, I'm, I'm fighting climate change the same way trees do. Do right was, that, was was that me or I, I can't tell I can't tell if you're making fun of me or not. I actually think there's been a, at least a couple of people that have asked me to to do this research. Oh, okay. I, well, I think one time you did that, yeah. Yeah. And when I started researching about this, uh, I found that even doing that argument for trees, it's so hard. It is so hard to know which which species of tree. In which environment, under which growing conditions is going to eat, which amount of CO2 a year. There are so many
1: Uh, variables that it's going to change. Like there is no one tree. There's no single answer.
0: There's
1: no single answer.
2: Yeah. So I I think it is very mysterious and very interesting to start asking that. And I think your point would inevitably, I mean, because I know your mind, I know how you you work. (laughs) At least one of us does. Well, I, I can suspect it. I'm theorizing about this. Maybe one of the things you're trying to say is, is a more precious sugar, a more tasty sugar, is a sugar that is more scarce and that takes longer to be built, probably more flavorful or or more complex in the way we get to taste it? Is, is, that, I, is that where your that- mind is going? I think you're
1: giving me a little bit too much credit. You know, oh. really my my <laughs> mind my, the, where where my mind is on this the reason this question goes through my head uh is just because I try to I, I hear things and I try to piece them together into logical chains. Okay. Right? So to make things a little more understandable to me. I you know, I think I think in terms of will it make it more delicious? My heart really is in the place that the 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 man or the woman who's processing it, the skills of that man or that woman, that's going to determine whether or not it's delicious. Um, but but I really do – I wonder if I've figured something out here that nobody's really talked about because um, that would make me feel smart, and I like that.
2: Okay, but then there's another thing, though, and I'm probably – we're getting really off topic with this one, but I, I need – and again, I'm going to bring my father into this equation. I hate when people neglect the farmer's skills. You're saying the the flavor comes out from whoever is processing this agave, but you know, agriculture, agriculture was the first type of culture on planet earth. So it takes quite a skill and understanding of the earth and the plant to have delicious I, agaves to start with. I Boy, I actually, <laughs> I completely, I, I, like, it was the first
1: culture. Yeah. I guess agriculture, was, if you're not talking farming, sure. Okay. Because farming, like, came well after culture came but um i i have heard you say many many times that and, and other people that we've interviewed say many many times that really after the first 3 years you just leave that agave alone it's going to do what it wants to do i'm not dismissing um the the impact of earth or anything on these but uh, on these plants and on the end result of the spirits that come from the plants what i am saying is that the biggest factor is the person who is processing it and the decision he or she is making uh, in that process.
2: I have some more thoughts about that, but I think that's a whole different discussion and, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to do my homework. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I think it's worth saying that if, if you, if we do find you find,
1: I'm not going to be doing any research, but if you do find anything that points to answers or comes close to approaching answers to some of these questions, uh, we'll just, we'll throw them up on the webpage for the episode, uh, post those links. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I think there's so much that we that can be said about this because I think that our understanding of the influence of the agave itself, the plant, the region, the soil, on the final flavor profile of the spirits, it, it's still very it's not very well understood at all. And people want to start talking about terroir before actually understanding what those certain regions and what that would what those conditions mean. So I think in wine and grapes, you can do that because there's so much information about what that specific location means in terms of flavor. We don't have that mm-hmm. information in, in, in agave. And therefore, I think it's still not possible to talk with a lot of fluen, fluency about that.
1: Okay. Well, I think we should wrap it up here so that you can now yeah. spend the next 10 hours doing research.
2: Oh, I hate you, Lou. I really
1: hate you sometimes. <laughs> oh, and I love you, Java.
2: Okay. Hasta pronto. Adios, adios. Bye.
1: Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.